0: sing praises to our God. On the one hand, our text this morning begins at verse 14 of chapter 7 and goes all the way through chapter 10, verse 29, although we're not going to read that all in one swoop. Uh, We'll start at verse 14, and we'll read down through the end of chapter 7. That gives us a little sampling for uh, what section we're in. These are God's words for us this morning. And here's what God says to us today. Verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you are to say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know. That I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn to blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink. And the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the rivers and their canals and over their ponds and over all their pools of water so that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in the vessels of wood and the vessels of stone. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of all of his servants, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile, and all the water in the Nile turned to blood, and the fish in the Nile died, and the Nile stank, so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt, but the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts, so Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen um, uh, to them. As the Lord had said, Pharaoh uh, turned and went into his house, and he did not uh, even uh, take this to his heart, and all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. Seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. You may be seated. Father, thank you for your word. There is uh, no word like your word. And so for these moments together, Father, our prayer is for the presence of your spirit to be near to us, to be at work in us. Father, that you might show us wonderful things about yourself, that you might change us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning my plan... And uh, even as I stand here, I think I bit off more than I can chew. But uh, my plan this morning is to take us through nine of the ten uh, signs or diseases, although what well, we, we normally call them uh, the plagues. Um, and um, uh, I want to do that in a way that, for the most part, scans these first nine plagues. Two things I want us to think about as we do this. And you'll notice that I've flipped the order uh, from what's in your bulletin. The first thing I want to make note of is the exact provision I mean the, the exact precision of God's powerful works and And then I want to note something of the second point and that is the express purpose for God's wonderful works That's really what's in play here these these ten signs. And this morning, as we look at the first nine of the ten signs, uh, uh, up front, the Lord calls these powerful or wonderful signs. On the back of things, um, after they occur, He calls these the diseases. And I think that's probably where we get the notion of the ten plagues uh, from. But these are powerful, wonderful displays of God's Power, uh, and as we consider the first nine, first of all, I, there is there is something, and that's why I just kind of co- going co- to collapse them all and kind of bundle them up and look at them together. There is there is something of a of definite pattern uh, of each of these first nine, um, uh, and, and yet there's also variation, and we'll make note of some of the variation uh, from the pattern. There is a there is a certain Progression of intensity of these nine, of these first nine signs or diseases. Um, the the first of them are, are are really more of an an inconvenience and a new nu, a nuisance. Uh, the, as, as they progress, though, they become more adverse and and bothersome and, and even inflictive of of suffering. But the pattern goes something like this: collapsing all nine in these uh, these wonderful, powerful signs, uh, it, it, each of them set themselves up like this way. Uh, the Lord sends Moses to Pharaoh uh, to, to make an announcement. Uh, the, the, the announcement contains, first of all, an indictment against Pharaoh, it, 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 uh, that uh, Pharaoh is to let the people of Israel go, um, and, uh, and that thus far, uh, Pharaoh has not complied with that, and that sets the stage for then the announcement of a, of a sign of some sort of infliction or disease or plague that's going to come upon them. Then the plague comes as per the announcement. And then the, that, the, so the Lord sends that sign. And then fla- Pharaoh, and this is where there's variation here, Pharaoh. Fla- Lost something here, but um, he, he begins to fluctuate throughout the um, the sign, and and then before the sign is done, or as it's done, then Pharaoh, if you would rehardens or is rehardened, and then we then we get to the next sign, and we read the first one, and that is that um, the Lord turns the water. On the one hand, he turns the Nile into blood. But if you, if you, if you notice, he does more than turn the Nile into blood. Every little nook and cranny of water, even the water in the vessels and the pots, uh, those are turned to blood as well. So water everywhere turns to blood. So at the very end, the, the people are having to like, dig in the ground to see if they can find some water that doesn't have blood in it. And then after that, we'll see in a moment... Um, the, the Lord sends a, uh, a, a, a host of frogs that covers the land. And, and, then, and then the Lord sends a series of, of, of gnats throughout the land. And then the Lord sends uh, a, a series of flies throughout the land. Uh, and, and then the Lord strikes down the livestock. And then the Lord sends, this is where it gets more personal now, the, the Lord sends skin ulcers on the people then the lord rains down hail upon the people then the lord dispatches a, a, a army of locusts and then the lord turns everything dark what i want to kind of trace because there's there's variations of this in some of these the Lord just does them, even as Moses is announcing them. And in some of these, the Lord uses Moses and gives him, gives uh, a, an advance heads up. Hey, this is what's going to happen tomorrow, or this is what's going to unfold. But then as things go on, particularly when you get to, 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 to sign number four, there begins to be a clear distinction emerge, that these signs, these diseases, are going to come down upon the Egyptians and that the Israelites will be um, spared of these. So, for instance, look at verse 23 of chapter 8. During the fourth sign, if you would. Thus I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign will happen. And the Lord did so. And there came a great, great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses throughout the land of, uh, uh, all the land of Egypt. And it was ruined by a swarm of flies. And you can see, all of a sudden there's a, there's a change in that pattern that all of a sudden there's a great differentiation made that, that God's powerful enough that is able to send the flies here but not here. A distinction between his people and Pharaoh's people. Another variation, when you get to the seventh uh, sign, the the hail raining down upon the people, in chapter 9, for instance, verse uh, 20 and 21, you begin to see even some of the Egyptians begin to um, respond and take note of the announcements and alter their lives accordingly. Verse twenty, then who of chapter nine? Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh. So these are Egyptians that are saying, "Whoa, uh, take you, you, y'all take a note of this. This is really happening." Um, then. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses, but whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. In other words, they're given a heads up, they're given a time of response, and those who respond to these warnings will be spared. And those who do not respond to these warnings, then, then, then they will not be spared. And even when you get to the eighth uh, sign, uh, the servants of Pharaoh begin to, like, try to advise Pharaoh. Don't you think we've had enough of this? Don't you think we we better, like, you know, do something? You better do something. Uh, So in chapter 10, verse 7, for instance, Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, how long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Uh, do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? This guy's killing us. Smalls. It, 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 uh, that's, that's in the Hebrew, but, but you see that the, 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 there's an intensity of this, and yet and yet and yet the there's, there's a, a differentiation between Egypt and, and Israel, and, and, and yet even pressing it farther, there becomes a, even a differentiation between the members of the house of Pharaoh within Egypt. Even some of the Egyptians are saying, this is for real. The first couple of signs, in the one we read, for instance, the, and then the, the next two after that, uh, Pharaoh's magicians are able to replicate some of that. But, but after the third sign, uh, we don't hear no word from those guys any, anymore. They're not, they're not able to keep up with this. They're not able to replicate that. Again, pressing the case that as things are progressing in intensity, that there's a point being made The other thing I want to make note of is the progression of of, uh, Pharaoh in these nine uh, signs or diseases. Um, It's mentioned a couple of times even in our reading uh, this morning, but but as we move on to the various uh, other signs, we, we, we we see the language. Once again, we saw it, for instance, in, it starts out of the blocks there in chapter 7, verse 14 in our reading. And the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let my people go. He won't listen to me. And then he says in verse 22 of, of our reading this morning, um, but the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts, so Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. And, and through this we see the the, the the progression and yet the variance of this language of hardness as it pertains to Pharaoh. And in some cases, and we've already made note of this, and yet this is the, the next increment in us trying to think through uh, because it's, it's started back in chapter 4 and it'll continue through, through to, to chapter 14, this, this matter, this description of hardness as it pertains to Pharaoh's heart. And as we just read the two verses today, the onus of Pharaoh's hardness is on himself. He hardens his heart. He remains hardened in his heart posture. So We look at verse 15 of chapter 8. It's the same, but, but when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Or in chapter 8, verse 19... Then the magician said to Pharaoh, uh, This is the finger of God. In other words, we can't do that one. Um, th- but Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Or in chapter 8, verse 32, But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also, and did not let them go. Now, what's next? In chapter 9, verse 12, is a variation. Up to this point, from what I've read thus far, in chapter 7 and in chapter 8, the the onus has been upon the fact that Pharaoh's heart is hardened. Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Now look at the difference there in chapter 9, verse 12. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Or, now it goes back then in chapter 9, verse 35, so the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. And then in chapter 10, three more times of this same pattern that we saw uh, in chapter 9, verse 12, then uh, verse 1 in chapter 10, then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart, and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that they may uh, tell in the hearing of your, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians. Or in verse twenty of chapter ten, where it says, "But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go." Or in verse twenty-seven of chapter ten. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. I mean, let me try to piece all this together. The quick and skinny of it it would just be put together like this. So which and is it? Did Pharaoh harden his own heart, or did the Lord harden Pharaoh's heart? Which and is it to which we would go like this? We would nod an affirmation. Why would we do that? Because if we want to stay with the text of Scripture, the text of Scripture affirm both, that Pharaoh has a hard heart, that Pharaoh has hardened his heart, and that the Lord has hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now, we like to clean things up sometimes in a way that gets us in trouble. We like to clean things up in a way that sometimes takes us beyond the categories and the parameters of Scripture we would be better just to stay within the parameters of Scripture, even if that leaves us kind of in a quandary of which and is it. But let me see if I can kind of add some insight to this. First of all, Pharaoh is a lot like the rest of us. And part of what I mean by that is in our own natural state, being kinfolks from Adam and Eve, uh, we, 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 we come into this world with a heart that is not inclined toward the Lord. We come into this world with a heart, in fact, that is postured against the Lord. Our own natural bent is a natural hardness toward the things of God. All of us, without exception, operate in our own natural state in a hardness toward God. Right, So on the one hand, when it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart, he's just acting like the rest of us. When it says that Pharaoh's heart is hardened, he's, he's just lumping Pharaoh in with the rest of us. And yet, when it says that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart... And you'll notice that in terms of as we've read it this morning, those, as we're making our way through these first nine signs, these, the, the, out of the last five of the nine signs, the language is upon the Lord hardening Pharaoh's heart. It starts out where the first five are Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And, and Four of the last five are the Lord hardens Pharaoh's heart. Let me suggest to you what I think that implies. And that is, as God is bringing these signs down upon Pharaoh, Pharaoh's about to bust up. Pharaoh's about to fluctuate. Think about it. How much of God's thumb would it take to break your heart? Proverbs tells us the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. He can turn it whichever way he wishes. And what we're seeing is uh, the accumulative effect of these plagues, these signs, these diseases are are, are starting to wear upon Pharaoh. And he's starting to relent. This may sound harsh, But God ain't done teaching them yet. And so God solidifies his own natural hardened bent. The the, the, the signs could, could, on the one hand, break Pharaoh. On the other hand, God strengthens Pharaoh's heart so that the signs don't break him. So that God can bring down some even more intense, powerful signs. I, I want you to back up and say... Is that God? Is God that big? Is God that in control? Is God that majestic? Is God that holy other? That that he could put his hand upon us and solidify our natural hard heart? This is not a God we get to play with. This is a God whom we ought to fear. This is a God... Who, while we ought to fear, is also God who is known for anyone who cries out to this God for mercy will find it. So you see this fluctuation then in, in Pharaoh, where, again, going back and doing a survey again in, in, uh, in, 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 verse, so in verse 8 of chapter 8. So in the second sign. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs and, and from me and my people, and, and I will let the people go and sacrifice to the Lord. So, so call off your God. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll let you guys go. I'll let you guys go. He, Moses intercedes, the frogs go away, and Pharaoh says, Joking. <laughs> See, Pharaoh thinks he's playing a game here. Verse Verse 25 of, of, of chapter 8, as the, the, the fourth plague comes down, then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Go, 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 sacrifice to your God within the land, within the land. In other words, that, but, but that, I'll, I'll cut a deal with you. We'll compromise. You guys can't leave the land, but you can go worship. That's what you said you wanted after all, to go worship it. Nope. Verse 28 So Pharaoh said, I will let you go sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you must not go very far away. He's trying to broker a deal. The intensity of the the signs are coming down upon Pharaoh, and he's faltering. He's fluctuating. Can God put his powerful hand upon even a natural man with a hardened heart and cause his heart to fluctuate? Our God is God. Look at the development in 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 during the during the sixth. uh, I'm sorry, the seventh plague in verse uh, 27 of chapter nine. Oh man, this is this is a big development. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, "This time I have sinned. I got news for you, buddy. Not just this time, but anyway, but this time I have sinned. The Lord is right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord." Something similar in, during the eighth plague in chapter 10, verse 16, where he says, Then Pharaoh hastened Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, uh, forgive my sin, please, only this once, and plead with the Lord uh, uh, your God only to remove this death from me. Do, do, do you see Pharaoh starting to fluctuate? But what I want to suggest to you, that while the the accumulative effects of the signs are starting to wear on Pharaoh's heart, simultaneously, that's when the increase of language increases. But the Lord is is maintaining Pharaoh's hard heart because he's not done doing what he wants to do yet with Pharaoh. Verse 24 of chapter 10. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go, go serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go. Um, only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. In other words, he, he's, he's fluctuating. He's negotiating. Okay, okay, okay you, can go very, you can't go very far, but you can go. Okay, you can go to the wilderness. Okay, you can go, but your children can't go. Okay, your children can go, but your livestock can't go. What, what is, what, what's going on here? What is the express purpose for these wonderful powerful works of God what is the what is the intent behind these first nine signs you remember in chapter 6 the Lord said to Moses that I'm going to rescue and redeem the people of Israel why don't we just go from that statement that I'm going to rescue and redeem my people, he says it back in chapter 6, and why don't we just go straight to the Passover in chapter 10? What's all the filler for in, 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 chap- in the subsequent chapters and in the, in the inter- intermediate chapters there? Why? Here's what I suggest to you. Because in the book of Exodus, the main thrust is, is not merely redemption. Now, boy, be careful with what I just said. I know I just said it, so i got to own up to what I just said. Uh, But be careful what you took away from what I just said. Be careful for, guess what? Redemption is a big deal. That God would redeem and rescue a people. That's a big deal. But what I want to suggest to you is that there is an even bigger deal. As incredible, as marvelous, as wonderful as God's redemptive work is. We need to couple God's redemptive work, not pull them apart, but couple them together, tether them together, that that there is an intended design and purpose to this redemption, and that is knowing the God who redeems. I think this is where much of the church misses it. Much of the church might know a thing or two about redemption, But it can become just an empty concept that gets hijacked by other agendas in our culture. We could, in other words, we could marvel, we could sing, we could, we could dance, we could move around and celebrate that we've been redeemed. And we could say that, and the end design of that redemption is I get to feel better about myself. Since it's all about me, after all, and God's work of redemption just puts a stamp on the fact that it's all about me. I'm the center of the universe, and He has redeemed me. Look at how lucky He is. We we could we could have a vague concept of redemption uh, that is reshaped by cultural trends, and and uh, we could say then that. Um, redemption's purpose is just to give me a better personal view of myself, is to, just to reiterate how special I am and to make me feel not so much guilty after all. Those are very human-centered, man-centered notions that are tethered to the concept of redemption. Redemption, while it certainly involves us, redemption is tethered to something bigger, and more impressive, it is not a vague concept to be reshaped by cultural whims. It is it is to be tethered to God and to a relationship with God. And so, why the first nine plagues? It's an education process. It's a process of showing. Uh, All who are around, and that means the Egyptians and Pharaoh, but also the Israelites, that they would be aware of the power, the glory, the strength, the wisdom, the majesty of this God who is about to redeem them. Because part of what they need to grasp is that their redemption is from something and unto something. They've been serving Pharaoh. They're about to get rescued from that. But once they're rescued from from serving Pharaoh, they're not put in a no-man's land where they just now are for themselves, but they've been rescued from Pharaoh that they might serve and worship God, the one God who redeemed them, that they would know this God. And so he says all throughout this this segment, we've touched on it a little bit. He he says, um, uh, even in the the first plague, um, uh, verse 17, uh, thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord God. In chapter... 8 verse 10 and he said tomorrow uh, Moses said be it for sure that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God in verse 22 of chapter 8 he he says but on this day I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth or in chapter 9 verse 16 where he says, uh, But for this purpose I've raised you up to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Or in chapter uh, 10, I touched on it as well, but verses 3 and 4, um, or, or verse 2, 3 and 4, and that you may tell in the hearing of your sons and your grandsons. How I have dealt harshly uh, with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them that you may know that I am the Lord. In accomplishing this redemption, or as he's about to accomplish this redemption, the Lord does something first. He shows his greatness, he shows his superiority. The Lord is greater than, than the Egyptians. He is greater than Pharaoh. The Lord is greater than nature. The Lord is greater than all of the false gods that the Egyptians and the Israelites have been flirting with. And so God, before he redeems his people, he sees to it to dismantle all of their false ideas, all of their false gods and deities. He, he, he dismantles them so that they are left with one and only one obvious conclusion. There is a God. And that, we might know his supremacy, that we might know his greatness, that we might know his power and his wisdom. So why does he do this? Why does he just get the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt? Why does he go through all the fuss? Uh, because God, God wants his name known. First of all, he wants his name known because he's not just concerned with one ethnic group. He wants his name known among the Jews. He certainly starts there, as with Abraham. But God's plans in Egypt, as throughout, in the book of Exodus, as throughout the whole rest of Scripture, God has is, is, is not got a plan to just simply rescue one ethnic group. No, God's work of redemption is to bring people into relationship with himself, uh, people from every, how many? Every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. And, and, and so on the, on the, on the, on the eve of, of redeeming the people of Israel through the event of the Passover, on the eve of that, he issues a series of plagues that serve as a global witness that testifies to the greatness of the one true God. The whole earth is being put on notice. Not only that he's able to rescue Israel from Egyptian slavery, but that he is utterly, completely, and fully in control of every false god, of every event of nature, of every nation, and every leader of every nation. But God is also concerned, and I must move quickly, he's also concerned with developing the relationship of the people he's about to immediately redeem, he wants them, and I would just add quickly, he wants us, he wants them to have a personal, intimate, deep relationship with him. He doesn't simply want to say, hey, guess what? You're no longer in bondage to Egyptian slavery. He doesn't want to say just simply, hey, guess what? You're no longer in bondage to sin. He displays His power. He displays His wisdom before us, before the Israelites, so that it would foster our trust and dependence upon Him, so that it would warrant the worship, of, our worship of Him, so that it would cultivate our witness and mission for Him. Or in the words of John 17, verse 3, and this is eternal life. Anyways, what, what does it mean to, to, to be born again, to, to be saved, to have eternal life? What does that mean? It, you know, I just get to live forever? It means I don't have to deal with the guilt of my sin anymore? I mean, not to downplay those significant things, but there's bigger issues at stake in eternal life. Eternal life is rooted in what John 17, 3 says, and this is eternal life, that they may know me, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom uh, you've sent. The outcome of redemption is being established in these powerful signs. God is showing that he is God because God wants to introduce himself to his people. Because God wants us to have a a living, vibrant, active, engaged relationship with him right now, right here, today. And he's done that even in a greater way than he did through Moses and these wonderful signs. He did this in a way that is, in fact, uh, quite a reversal. For in the Exodus, on the eve of that redemption, God, if you would, flexes his muscle and shows his might, his power. When Jesus set foot on this earth, he, he certainly showed many wonderful signs and miracles. But the greatest thing that Jesus did was hang from that cross. And there on that cross, all of the diseases, the troubles, the curses that we think of as the plagues, all of those were placed on Jesus, who substituted himself for people like you and I. He bore up under the curse. And in the, in, the, in the great irony of all things, as Jesus bore up under these plagues, these curses, he triumphs over them. He triumphs over all false gods. He triumphs over all kings and rulers. He triumphs over sin and death and the law because God raises him from the dead. In a sense... The, the greatest strength that is displayed in the cross and in the life of Jesus is the strength of his humility to suffer for us. And the sign of his triumph in that humility is the exaltation of his life at the resurrection. So that you and I may know the Lord our God. Jesus died was raised do you know him have you turned to him and trusted only in him do you follow him do you grow in your knowledge and and relationship with him is it growing stronger is it growing deeper is there an intimacy between you and the Lord Jesus Christ for redemption is not a vague empty concept Redemption is so that you and I would live in relationship with the God who redeems us. Father, thank you for your word. There's no no word like your word. So, Father, even now, as we've touched on your power, your might, your glory, your strength, Father, how we've seen that quite ironically, even through the humility of Jesus to take upon himself our sin our curses. Father, may we trust in Jesus on this day. May our hearts overflow with happiness and gladness for what Jesus has done for us. For we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.